to 12 today. And uh, I appreciate last week was hard going for those of you who were here. Um, and uh, this week's a bit better, I hope. But I need to say this. If you really want, if you haven't been here, you, last week's and this week sit together. And you'll benefit this week, you'll get more benefit from this week if you have a listen to last week as well. Even though it's tedious. You okay with that? Roger's looking at me and oh, really? <laughs> really? Well, I believe so. But then I could be wrong, and you know what? It's all right, because I'm at peace. Um, okay, so my title really is Daniel chapter 12, plus looking at the end times. We come to the end of our series in Daniel. Hallelujah. From, from a preacher's point, hallelujah. Some of you could go, ah. No, okay. Uh, it would be, isn't it a shame to come to the end of a book in the Bible? Well, yeah. What's the next one? The next one's going to be Mark. That's easy. That's the easy one, though. Although I think, well, no, no we'll move on. <laughs> Daniel's an interesting book, and in the main, the things we learn are God is in charge, our times are in his hands, he knows the end from the beginning, and he will have his way. And as we get near the end Daniel, of Daniel, it does increasingly become a complicated book. Uh, and so we must make sure, I'm passionate about handling the word of God right. I, I, I just have a, I feel a, a responsibility before God that I have to give an account when I stand before God that I, we handle the word of God correctly to feed people. And I, it gets me in all sorts of trouble that, but I feel it's important. It, this, because it's difficult to understand doesn't mean we shouldn't handle it well. Uh, and, and try and gain the full benefit of, what been, of what's been revealed to us. I have three points this week, which is a blessing to all. Um, knowing the scriptures, being confident in God, and living in the light of truth. So point one, knowing the scriptures. We, we must remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. He said, all scripture is God-breathed, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our view of the Bible and how we handle it is very important for the people of, the people of God. It's essential. It's not just a book that gives uh, good advice and a few suggestions. In, in, in my last church, we, we had one or two statements like, like value statements, and it, and it said, the, when I got there, it said, the Bible is our touchstone in all matters of life and conscience. And I thought, a touchstone? That means every now and again I go and touch it. No, no, it's not a touchstone. It's a foundation stone. It's everything stands on the Word of God. We just don't go to it sometimes and sort of play around with it and give it a stroke. It's a foundation stone. So I, I, changed, I changed it, which was interesting. That's another story. The Bible's not just a book that tells us about Jesus' birth, death, resurrection. It isn't a book that just tells us how to get saved. It's a book of truth. And we read in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, it says this, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
One of the things we forget when we read through the Gospels is that most of the time, the context for Jesus doing all his amazing miracles and healing people and all of that, the context is actually Jesus teaching the crowds of people who are around him. It says the people who, when he he fed the 4,000, it says the people had been with him for three days as he was teaching them. What was he teaching them? He was opening up the scriptures, the Old Testament. He was revealing, this is what it means. This is what it's about. I want you to understand. He was telling them about the future. He was teaching them. and, And they're going, wow. Wow, we were blind. Now we can see the essential nature of revelation coming from scripture as Jesus was unpacking it. And what does Jesus tell us to do? Hold to this teaching. Hold to his teaching. Then, then we will know the truth. And the truth will set us free. So you can hear the gospel, go, oh, Jesus loves me. But actually there's a whole body of teaching in terms of life, values, worldview, understanding of life. And God's saying to us, you need to know this because this will, is what you will stand on. This, it's not just what Jesus did at Calvary. Yes, that deals with our sin. But to walk in freedom is to understand the bigger purposes of God and understand your place in it. It's vital we do that. Otherwise, we just get flip-flop all over the place, not knowing where to stand. It's essential. So reading, knowing, learning the Scripture is very important. And that's why I am passionate, absolutely passionate, about everybody doing Word Plus. Word Plus is a a 10-session overview of lots of Scripture, It happens on Saturday mornings, five times a year, over two years. That's ten sessions. Um, We we have this year to finish off. I would encourage you, if you've never done this, to sign up for it. Get one of these. They're on the desk. To sign up for it, we'll start again. The whole thing, the beginning of next year. Okay? It needs to be, for us, a rolling program because it gives an overview of Scripture. It's not just a little bit here or a little bit there. It's an overview. It gives you a broad picture. Every, every believer needs to do this. I promise you will grow. I promise. Those of you who've been on it, are you enjoying it? Some of you. Yeah? But you are enjoying it. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing. It's hard work. It's 9.30 till about 4. With a little break for lunch. It's, it's, it's solid going. But we need to apply ourselves to this truth. It's not boring. I promise you it won't be boring. If it's boring, you can tell us and we'll change the speakers. We, I, I was going to say, which we've already done. I've got, I, I, because actually, I, I so believe in it. Okay? You see, the Bible said, that the, what's the Great Commission? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, going to all the world, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. How are you going to know? How are you going to know unless you get to know the Bible? Essential. So reading, knowing, learning the Scripture is very important. Please do Word Plus next year. So let's uh, read this last chapter of Daniel. Now the context here is that Daniel is having a visionary encounter with a heavenly being and things are being revealed to him. This heavenly being is speaking to him. At that time, the heavenly being says, Michael, the great priest who protects your people, will arise. 
And there will be a time of great distress, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked And there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? And the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,333 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will, receive, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Do you see what I'm, I'm saying about a guy who's playing his part in the bigger purposes of God? There's no stress there. You just faithfully get on, and you live and you die. I was thinking while we're worshiping about my, my grandma, who taught me about Jesus when I... As soon as I could talk, she was telling me stories of Jesus. And my mom and my dad, who taught me stories of Jesus. And my, bro- my brother's a Baptist minister, and we're both serving Jesus, and our children are all serving Jesus, because our biggest calling in life is to teach our children about Jesus. That's the number one. That's the biggest success. That's what it's, it's about home. It's about your family. It's, it's about being at peace there and, and your home being a joy to the Lord. That's, that's the calling. My grandma played her part in her day. Her husband, my granddad, died when my mom was my mom's the youngest when she was 13, and she brought up these four girls, praying for them every day. And then in her, she had a stroke, and when she gets to about 90, she dies and goes to be with Jesus. But it carries on. The purposes of God carry on. She died, but she will rise to receive her allotted reward. That's where our confidence is. You see, our confidence is in God, not in seeming success, not in the moment of achievement but in what God's achieving as he works out his plan. So important. Now, I've spent a whole load of time, lots of research, uh, looking at this chapter 12. And I'm of the opinion that this chapter is telling us about the end times. 
there have been many earlier partial fulfillments of, of vision and, and prophetic stuff, but my belief is that there is truth here that God wants to reveal to us about the end times. Now, a guy called John Hosier, who's heard of John Hosier? I believe he's preached here. Um, you'll know him. He, he wrote a book called The End Times. I recommend this book. It's still in print. Amazon have it for £2.99, I checked this morning. Okay? Um, it's well worth getting it. Really is. Very balanced, very good. But he says in this book, he said that 27% of the Bible is made up of prediction about the future. 27. So a quarter of the Bible is talking us about what is yet to come. That's, that's amazing. So if that's the case, then we, we need to understand what it's saying, and at least to some extent what it's telling us. Otherwise, we're not, we're not benefiting from, from the, the book that God gives us. It is calculated that the return of Jesus, that's his second coming, is foretold 319 times, and almost every book in the New Testament refers to it. And right at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22:20, 20, Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon, because the book of Revelation is a book all about Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus speaks to us in Revelation and in the Gospel. And it finishes with, yes, hear it, I am coming soon, and then the, the writer replies, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Now I want to point out something. In both verses 4 and 9 of, of the final chapter of Daniel, we've just read, the, we, we have the words, and Daniel's being told that the words he's been re- talked to, this has been revealed to him, are, are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. He's twice told that. In verses 4 and verse 9. Now, interestingly, in chapter 10 of Daniel, if you remember from last week, the heavenly being had come to to, to reveal to Daniel. He says, do you know why I've come? He said, I've come to reveal to you what is written in the book of truth. Okay? So this heavenly being comes to Daniel and says, I'm revealing to you what's written in this book of truth. And then he reveals some things, and then Daniel goes, you'll have to explain some more of that to me. He says, no, no, this is wrapped up, it's sealed until the time of the end. Oh, but we won't understand it then. Well, perhaps not. There's clearly some prophetic revelation given to Daniel that can be seen that has come to pass, as we've been through, been through last week and a few weeks ago. However, some of what we're told is clearly to do with the, the times, the end times, far, far away from Daniel's day, and talking about the days we live and beyond us, to the days when Jesus comes again, far away in the future. And these words, he'd been told, are rolled up and sealed until that time. And so, as I say, if those words are rolled up and sealed, well, we're going to struggle to understand them unless someone comes and opens them and unrolls the scroll and says, this is what it means. Who do you think might do that? Who do you think might be the one who could open this scroll that's been sealed up and reveal to us what it means? Any suggestions? Jesus, excellent! Revelation 5, 1 to 3. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could be found, could open the scroll or even look inside it. 
I believe the scroll referred to here is the, the book of truth referred, referred to in Daniel. Okay? I don't think God has lots of different books. I think it's the same book. It's a book that reveals the history and purposes of God through time. Okay? That, that, that's what I see. That's, what, that's why we have the Bible. It's revealing all the time God and his purposes and his greatness and our part in that and who we are. It's all being revealed but a lot of it was wrapped up and wrapped up, but now the one who can begin to reveal it to us has come, and his name is Jesus. So Revelation 5, 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to come. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Speaking of Jesus, now on to verse 9, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language, people and nation. Jesus is the one who opens truth to us, reveals the purposes of God to us, reveals the future to us. Jesus is the one who, who is our Savior. Jesus is the one who's, who's given us the right to be called children of God. Jesus is the one who says, now you have joined in as the people of God for all time and there's, there's a future to be worked out for you and it's there in the book and it's being revealed and unpacked in our day. Isn't that exciting? So you know the Bible's boring. Oh, it's another song. No, all the time God's speaking to us by the Holy Spirit, revealing, opening, giving you glimpses. You go, oh, I'm seeing I'm getting it. It's an adventure. It's a real adventure. So we need to look for a little while at what Jesus said about the end times. If chapter 12 of Daniel is about the end times and the words are sealed up, Jesus is the one who undoes the scroll. What does Jesus say about the end times? My second point, being confident in God. In a world in turmoil, I, I wonder where we put our confidence. How's your confidence? My non-Christian friend called Graham. I think I've only got one. Not only one friend, but... Well, maybe... No. My non-Christian friend, Graham. Friend since we were both 19. He sent me an email. He said, the world's gone mad. Oh, yeah, it's about right. The news is crazy. The world is volatile. Things are just like a powder cake. Things erupting. All sorts of incredible things going off. I, I think, wow. But you know what? You can get really scared when you look at that stuff. Or you can get really fired up and say, hey, God's in charge. He's working out something here. That's where I start. I go, wow. This could be costly, but wow. I love it. There's nothing worse than it. It's just going to be the same forever and ever. Just get maybe a little bit better. No, no. No, God's working out his eternal purpose and it's bigger than any of us. So where do we put our confidence? In good government? Mm. Wow. Is there such a thing? <laughs> In military might... Every army in the end gets defeated. If you look at history, they can they can they can dominate for centuries, but in the end, another army gets bigger and better. How about in democracy? 
We make democracy the God. We need democracy all over the world. God. So we try and force it on people who haven't got a clue what it is and how to handle it. And it just becomes a powder keg of argument and difficulty. You see, we always love to think, wherever we are, that our view is the right one. You ever thought that? Well, I think, so I must be right. Do you ever judge other people by their behavior, the way they dress, or anything like that? You never do that, do you? We have no right to judge anyone. We are not there. We, you know, if you spend all your time thinking, well, they should do this and they should do that, you've got to deal with that. Because the Bible says, don't judge. Don't judge. It's not your business. It's God's business. Yes, if they ask advice, we can give it. But our job is to love. Our job is to accept. Our job is to say, these people are people that Jesus died for. And they may be wrapped up in all sorts of stuff, and you think, well, I, I, I don't like their lifestyle, and I don't like what they do, and I don't like their values, and I don't like the way they behave, but you know what? The gospel is for the whole world. And I'm, nobody appointed me judge. Even in church, you know, people judge each other. Do you do that? How they bring up their kids, the way they dress. You never do that, of course. Ever so difficult not to do that sometimes, especially when you're getting irritated. As I said, some people are just designed to live up your nose. It it's, <laughs> seems to be how it is. But it's not my business to judge, it's my business to love. Not to compromise, but to live in such a way that people say, I want to look at the outcome of your way of life. I want to look, and what is it you have? I, I, the, the Apostle Paul said, look at my life. Look at how I live. Look at the outcome of my way of life and imitate that. So we, we shine as lights in the darkness if we live according to the Word of God. But everybody's on the journey of that development. God confronts this, confronts that. I wouldn't imagine every one of the young people at New Day were perfect. In my judgment. But what I say to you is, well done. Well done for being there. And you know what? I might be a fuddy-duddy anyway. And I can be wrong. Do, do you get me? It's not about... It's not about us judging other people. It's not about us telling other people what to do. It's our job to shine for Jesus in a dark world. To live it out and demonstrate what it is to be children of God. Democracy. No. We try to bring democracy into church, you know. You're not here. Hallelujah. Right. I mean, I want everybody involved, but the I, I, I took over a Baptist church, and you know what? First thing we did, we had to vote out voting. It was just horrendous. You couldn't do anything. Everybody said, yes, no. It's not leadership. There's no opportunity there. There's not there in the Bible. Leaders lead with the goodwill of the people, and we involve and listen, but at the end of the day, leaders have to lead. Leaders have to make decisions. Democracy is a recipe often for people not to move forward. What have we got? We get a hung parliament. So two people who have different values try and agree together on the compromise of the values they do agree on for the sake of the country. I'm not knocking that, but all I'm saying is it's always the, the lowest, the, the few things we agree on. There's no radicalism. I, I'm not against democracy. I don't have a better one. Well, I do. It's called theocracy. 
but that's when Jesus rules. Okay? But in the meantime, don't put your confidence in democracy. It will let you down. How about money and possessions? How about family in husband or wife, mom and dad, in a career or a job, in education, in church leaders? Is your confidence in me? Ah! Not a hope. Your confidence is in me. You are lost. Our confidence is in God. As the people of God, we need to be clear where our confidence lies. Psalm 20, verses 7, 8, 7 and 8 said, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They, the one who trusts in chariots and horses, are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. What a great, what a great couple of verses. The Apostle Paul says this in his letter to, Tim, to, to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Well, that, that's scary, isn't it? Kind of sounds like the days we live in, though. Most of that, oddly enough, or not oddly enough, but interestingly enough, it's that chapter in which Paul then says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's the same chapter. It tells us about the end times like that. So what it would be like, but all scripture is God-breathed. Interesting. How are we to handle scriptures like this in 2 Timothy then? My concern is that the church today is generally very ignorant and what the Bible teaches about the end times and the times we live in. And what I want to do now is read through Matthew 24. We read through it last week, but we're going to... All 44... Well, we're going to read 2 verse 44. It's a little bit more of it, but we'll go 1 to 44. But this time, though, I want to comment as I go through. So the context here, Jesus has been in the temple with his disciples. And this is, I believe, Jesus unraveling some of the scroll for us. And it says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples uh, when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Perhaps, wow, aren't they amazing, God? Do you see all these things, he said? Truly I tell you that not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now you need to understand, the temple wasn't just a little building of stone. It, was, it wasn't finished yet, but it was huge. It was vast, and it was covered in gold. It was covered in gold. It was the most amazing building. And Jesus said, not one stone here will be left on another. It goes on, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which wasn't far away, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so begins this long answer. And we, we, could, we need to pay attention to it. And it's as though Jesus starts with the destruction of the temple that happens in A.D. 70. And he gives a potted history then of the events that will happen right through history until he comes again. And Jesus says this, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. 
You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So the signs that have been happening through history are, Jesus said, just the beginning of what's to come. Where we are in, in coming to the moment of birth or coming to the moment when Jesus comes again, I don't know. But as these things happen, he said, don't worry, these things will happen. They'll happen more and more. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, he says. How does this fit with our success world today? You'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Interestingly, it's pretty well recorded in history that all the disciples, with the exception of John, suffered a martyr's death. The church has been persecuted in nation after nation throughout history. Even today, in some nations, people are put to death because of their faith in Jesus. Before the fall of the Berlin Wall, which happened in our day, or my day, certainly, the church was persecuted in the Soviet Union. It was underground churches, but people were put in prison for years and years and years for being a Christian. Even in China today, to be a Christian, you're supposed to join a thing called the three-self movement and be part of a three-self church. It's because they, they want to control it. So in China today, you have huge numbers, millions of Christians in underground churches. And of course, in many Muslim countries today, you risk your life to stand up and be counted as a Christian. Am I right, guys? You risk your life to stand up and be counted as a Christian. And Jesus goes on, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. This is cheerful stuff. Do you think? Feeling encouraged? This is, this is Jesus unpacking the stuff. We have to hear it. But he goes on, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In the midst of suffering, challenge, and persecution, the church of Jesus Christ is always advancing. Always advancing. What I find interesting, the churches in Iran particularly, the churches has suffered, but there's at least five million Christians in the church in Iran, and growing. Okay? You go to Turkey, which is no longer a Muslim country, it's actually a secular country. So in theory, it's 99% Muslim, but in theory, the law says it's fine to have churches. In, in the whole of 70 million people in Turkey, there may be four or 5,000 Christians. Because there's, no, there's not the same persecution. But where a church is under persecution, it grows. That's a challenge, but it's the truth. Why is the church of Jesus always advancing under persecution? Because Jesus is building it, and the gates of hell can't prevent it. You go into a nation, and they can say, we are anti-Christ, you can't bring Jesus here. You go in, and you may have to die, but the next one comes, and the next one comes, and the next one comes, and the gates of hell cannot stop the word of God. They just keep coming and keep coming. The truth will come to that nation. 
That's, the, that's, what, that's what the gospel does. This is the gospel advancing. It keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. Jesus building his church. It's costly. It means taking up our cross and following Jesus. I was in Bedford yesterday uh, with, with Jonathan Knight speaking to the elders uh, at my previous church about our involvement in Tanzania. Uh, and that was pretty much a good meeting. But even in Tanzania, what you realize is in Tanzania, it's becoming more and more risky because the, the Islam is pushing hard and pouring money in. And actually now some pastors, some pastors have been murdered. Just, just more and more stuff. It's become slightly more risky uh, to be a Christian. Will that get better? No, it'll become more risky yet. It'll become more risky yet because that's, that's the nature that's the nature of the gospel. You need to know around the world it's risky to be a Christian in many nations. In many nations. We live in a, a little bubble of democracy. It may not always be so. Jesus builds his church. The gates of hell can't prevent it. But it will meaning, make, mean us taking up our cross and following Jesus. It means us not grumbling, not complaining, but saying, I am giving my life to him. I am giving my life to following him wherever he leads me, wherever he takes me, whatever it means. That's what it means to be a Christian. Fairweather Christians, what does it say? At that time, many will turn away from the faith. It says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. You have to decide. You are fair with a Christian. Or have you given your life for him? Because he gave his life for me. And I am now a God person. I am now part of the people of God on the earth. And I'm part of this wonderful plan of God that has been worked out through the ages. You're part of it too. We give our lives to that. That's what Jubilees are part of. And we take the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom and we impact our society and we impact the rest of the world. As long as we've got breath, we give ourselves to that calling. And it'll get tough and it'll get hard and it'll get difficult. It'll be very inconvenient. Are we up for that? Are we really up for that? Oh, it was hard. Yeah, it'll get harder yet. So that's why we need to know where we stand. And I love this. But this gospel of the kingdom will go to every nation. <sighs> that fires me up. That, that does something. When I read that, it ignites me on the inside. I just think, yeah. This gospel, this amazing gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news of the kingdom where Jesus is king. Where he alone is in authority. Where he alone can save. Where he alone can heal. This kingdom where he alone is building a people together for himself from every tribe and nation and people. That excites me. Look what God is doing. That's what he's doing in our day. We're a part of that. Why do I love Jubilee? We've, we're, we're a people from every tribe and nation. Aren't we? Isn't it wonderful? That's the, that's what, this is a microcosm picture of what God's doing all over the world. We're a part of that. We're playing our part. Ooh. Ah. It fires me up. It, it, it's what I live for. I, I sometimes think I'm tired. I just like to stay home and play with my model railway. Might be something else for you. But seriously, I, I just like, I want to be creative. I want to, 
you know, I want to make a few models and do the things I like to do. And, and I, do, I, I do that to rest, and, and that's good for me. But I just feel God says, don't you dare retire. Don't you dare. Jonathan Knight blessed me no end yesterday. He says to me in the car, Paul, you've got another 50 years ahead of you. <laughs> Thanks, is what I thought. But yet part of me says, I want to play my part in this, this calling, this purpose of God. I want to play my part as long as I've got breath. I want to be part of the people of God who take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I want to do it. But I don't want to do it out of frustration and irritation and annoyance and intolerance. I want to do it totally at peace. Because all I'm doing is getting in line with what he's doing. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the Father working out his purposes. And I've got a part to play. And you've got a part to play. Hallelujah. And it starts with worship. It starts with devotion. And it starts with saying, I'm yours, God. Do with me as you will. So we go on, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, duh, right? Then those who are in Judea, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will, be, will take place will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, <laughs> for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, never to be equaled again. Wow. Encouraged? God's unpacking, showing us. This abomination that causes desolation is a difficult one, but the Bible tells us we need to understand. It may be that this abomination took place when the temple was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. However, I personally doubt it because it seems that Jesus is saying here that at that, 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 that time will be a time of great distress like the world has never seen. Well, we've never seen it then. We've seen some terrible things, but it, it seems to me that he, he puts it in the context of the very time of the end because he goes on to say in verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. Isn't it good that God's in charge? Because if God doesn't intervene, the world will destroy itself. That's what he's saying. With all our cleverness and understanding, we don't have the moral capacity to handle what we're learning. Jesus is in charge. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but here's some good news, but for the sake of the elect, that's us, that's the church, that's the people of God, for the sake of the elect, all those who are born again, for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. All of those who are born again, trusting in Jesus, for us, it's about us. God's plan is being worked out because he's pulling together a people from every tribe and language and nation for his eternal glory, for his eternal purpose. There'll be a new heaven and a new, a new earth and we will reign forever with him. That's the promise. That's who we are. 
okay? And he will not let that be thwarted. And so he will shorten time in, in this, this world. He will shut it down so that his purposes will be worked out for us, the church. Has your confidence? Mine is high. It goes on, verse 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, deceive even the elect. See, he says, I've told you in advance. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the desert, or do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there's a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Then Jesus gets very specific. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. People are making films of such things now, but actually, it's going to happen, Jesus says. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect, that's us, from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Wow! He's going to do it. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Do you ever listen out for a... Do not do that, really. The trumpet! Do not do that! I mean, you know, when I was a boy, I've told you, I used to, I used to lie in bed at Christmas Eve listening for the sleigh bells. Santa Claus is coming. Never heard them. This isn't like Santa Claus coming. You see, we treat this like a story that we believe like Santa Claus. No, no, this is reality. This is the truth. There is a day when the trumpet will blow, and we will. We will go to be with him in the air. We will. We will live forever. We'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's who we are. And I'm going to have a new body. Absolutely. I certainly need one. Very funny yesterday. We, we were in, in a cafe and uh, having lunch, and there's five of us having a sandwich, and I, I got my, my iPhone out, and this, this young girl, oh, she said, an old granddad with his iPhone. Do you know how to use it? What? And she just went on. We were there for about an hour. She just kept going. And she said, as I left, she said, don't forget to charge your phone. And I'm like, what? Hey, you know what? Don't you know? I'm a child of God, don't you? I'm going to have a new body. I might look an old guy, but I'm, I'm, he's coming again. And we all will be part of this, the fulfillment of the ages. Yes. And you know, all the things that we struggle with. Do you struggle with stuff? You will in this life. But all of those will go. All sighing and sorrow will flee away. Man. I need to press on. I'm waffling now. Then Jesus, he tells us to learn a lesson. He says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs become tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer's near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it's near, right at the door. I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus is telling us to keep an eye on the days we live in. 
Just as Daniel understood the days he lived in by reading the prophet Jeremiah, so we're to be aware of what Jesus is saying here and be aware of the days we're living in. When will the end be? When will Jesus come again? Jesus is very clear with that. He says, no one, no one knows. Because on verse 36, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the, the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Noah told people they were laughing at him. We will tell people the gospel and many will laugh, many will turn away, but some will listen. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus said. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. And then Jesus goes on in the rest of the chapter and on into chapter 25 to talk about the final judgment, the need to make sure we're ready for his coming, and talks about the the, the five, wise and five, five wise and five foolish versions. He talks about the sheep and the goats being separated. He's talking about judgment. But I'll just read verses 42 to 44. He says to us, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You'll just switch the telly on to watch neighbors. Is that the phone? Oh, it's the final trumpet. I mean, it's, 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 it's that sort of... Oh, that's, that's what he's saying. He's not talking about neighbors, but you know what I mean. Now I'll stop there, because I just want to speak briefly about my last point. Very briefly. But our confidence needs to be in God the Father and in Jesus the Son. We are safe, we are hidden in Christ, and we can't lose. We need to be sure of that. There is nothing to fear. He will never leave us or forsake us. But we do need to be aware and ready for his coming. So my last point, living in the light of this truth then. Living in the light of truth. How are we to live in it? How, how are we to, to what, what difference should it make to our lives? Well, Jesus said we are to be aware of where things are headed, but at the same time, we don't know when these things will happen. So we're to live as though Jesus won't return for another thousand years, and yet at the same time, make sure we're ready for him to return tomorrow. That's the reality. What we're not to do is get hung on up trying to predict it. We go, there's loads of rubbish on the web of, oh, it's, it's nearly here. Well, it may be, or it may not. The thing is, that's not our business because we don't know. We're to look at the signs. We look at the signs of the times and be ready for his coming. It's okay to have an idea. I think, you know, it's not far away. I tell you this, it's an awful lot nearer than it was 2,000 years ago. That's what I know. But I will no, never get predictive because the Bible tells us not to. So we're to live as though Jesus won't return for another thousand years, and yet at the same time make sure we're ready for him to return tomorrow. What we are to do is get on with that which he's commissioned us to do. To go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The Father's plan is that his kingdom comes on the earth. 
in Teesside and in the nations as it is in heaven, and that his will is done on the earth in Teesside and the nations as it is in heaven. So what are we going to do, Jubilee? We are going to give ourselves to that mission with renewed vigor so that Jesus will be glorified. And so far as it is within our power to make sure that the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That's our calling. That's our purpose. That's what we're about. But it's in the context of the bigger plan of God that is being worked out and is talked to to, and, and revealed to us in Scripture. And we need to be aware of it. And so when we do Alpha, when people come to Jesus, we need to teach people what they've come into and the bigger plans of God. That's our calling. And I am passionate, absolutely passionate about doing that. Let's stand, shall we? The band would come back, please. I'm just going to pray for us. If you want prayer for any healing or anything, just come and stand over here, any prayer, whatever. There's a team of people who will pray for you. But just let's focus our attention on the Lord for a minute. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the one who brings revelation. We read the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it's the revelation of your revelation to us, of, of who you are and who we are, of the plans and purposes of God, of the glorious church that you're building, this people from every tribe and nation, to be with you forever. Lord, thank you that you've called us to play a part. Lord, help us be a people at peace. Help us be a people content. Help us be a people who are fulfilled in the moment with you and yet work hard, work hard in our calling. Lord, don't give us a false sense of achievement or a false sense of the wrong sort of goal. My goal, our goal, is to bring you glory in everything we do. Lord, I pray for the building that's before us. I pray you'll give us that building. I pray for the calling before us to see Teesside transformed with the gospel. Give us all we need. But Lord, you are the one who goes ahead of us. We want to do what you're doing. Help us see that clearly. We give you glory. I pray, Lord, your word will find a place in our hearts and transform us and grow us for your name's sake. Amen.